So, Parshat Tetzaveh, otherwise known as Tetzaveh. I want to dedicate this year in memory of a, a, a friend from long ago, Arla Friedman. He was, um, when, when I got to Gush, so I was an American, I came Shana Aleph, and then the next year, I stayed Shana Bet, and then I went to the army. And when I was there in Shana Bet, I wanted to get to know the Israelis. So I got connected to the Israelis of the, when I was Shana Bet, who were Shana Aleph, they were a year younger than me. Um, and that's what I consider my machzor, because I went into the army with them and we're connected and we're on a WhatsApp list and whatever. The guys who were Israeli that I came to in Shana Aleph, I kind of lost touch with most of them because they went to the army when I was in Shana Bet. And then when I went to the army, they came back from the army. And then they went for their second stint when I was back and so on and so forth. So I didn't get to see them much. But Arlo Friedman was uh, one of these totachim. He was like, you could probably find him online. He was this just like, he was such a handsome guy when he walked into a room, like girls would turn around. He was really unbelievable. Chiseled. Yeah, like the snowballer, Rebbe, right? And, and I, mean, I mean, chiseled, built, whatever. He was one of these guys that you expected to see, like, you know, I don't know, whatever you expect to see in a movie. But he would sit in the base medrash. I mean, he got really into it, and he would burn up the, the base medrash floor. It was really unbelievable. Um, and every once in a while, he would come play ball with us. Um, very talented fellow. Went to the army. Was in Shiryon. He was, I believe, in Kurs Matakim. He was in sergeant's course in a place called Shizafon. Shizafon is a base all the way down in the south. Um, if you had to write up a list, places I hate most in the world, that would be top of the list. Like, I really just... I drive by, I, I, I was with my wife once on vacation, we were driving down south and we passed the sign and I just got all depressed and didn't even know why, like that place is intense. And he was there in Sergeant's course um, and they were working on the tanks. Thursday, every tank unit on Thursday is like depression day when you work on the tanks and grease them and oil them and whatever else you're doing there. And um, the tank that he was in, that he was working on, the engine had just been switched, which, was a, which is a major Sipur. I think I once talked to you about that before Hanukkah. And they had put the engine back in all the connections. And somebody messed up. There's a little boreg, a screw, like a bolt. It's called a boreg salad. Samach lamed dalad, which sounds for sivuvim ledaka. Okay? And basically what it is is, how many RPMs, how many revolutions per minute? Like when you start a car, okay, so the cylinders are turning at a certain speed. And when you hit the gas, the speed goes up, right? So for example, if you want oil to get into the whole system inside the engine, you gotta get it up to like 1400 to 1600 RPMs, saladim, right? But when you turn on a car, it's idling. That's a lower sort of salat. That's like 750, right? So the Borag is supposed to be when they put it at, turn to just the right speed, so that, so that the RPMs will be about 750. Now, for a 52-ton tank, if the engine is turning over when you turn it on at 750 RPMs, it'll idle. The brakes are on, so, you know, it, it won't move. But one of the mechanics had simply neglected to turn the screw in enough. So the screw was, like, up at, like, 16 or 1,800 RPMs. And when they turned on the engine and put it in reverse, they didn't realize that it was, like, it's like, it's like putting it in reverse and hitting the gas. So the tank bolted backwards. Arla Friedman was standing behind the tank, which anyway, you shouldn't be doing, but whatever. Normally isn't an issue. There's something called a bitonada, which are these like 
solid blocks of cement that are put there so that if a tank accidentally goes backwards too far, it'll hit the cement instead of going into somebody or whatever. He's supposed to be behind the beaton now that he wasn't. And the tank, the tank caught him and he was crushed against the bitonada. He was killed apparently instantly. So this is like devastating. His brother, his younger brother, Yair, who actually played in the band at my wedding, lives today in Florida, a very special person. You carry that around forever. Think about that. This enormous talent. Who knows what he would have done in the world? Left this world because of a boreg, a screw, a bolt that just wasn't turned properly in an engine. The little tiny detail. I remember when we were in the army, this I know I shared with you at one point, but it fits here. <coughs> we had a Shavua called Shavua Tirgulot. You're supposed to do um, exercises every day. And basically what it does is they take every possible scenario that you could be in and they train you how to deal with the scenario. You know, one of the things that the army is very good about it teaches you something called dapaot, darkepu life shariot, right? You have to learn to think about every possibility that could come up. Think about, like if you go into an interview. So what do you do when you're planning for an interview, your first job interview, college interview, what do you do? You say, what will they ask me? Try to think of every question they can ask you and prepare an answer. So the army teaches you to do that in life. You know, you go on a mission, everything that could possibly happen, right? How do you respond to it? So if there's a fire in the tank, you don't start thinking, do I jump out? Which way do I jump out? You know, do I get the driver first or jump out? Do I grab the machine? What do you do? So there's a turgolet. There's an exercise. And you practice this. <clears throat> you have to get on. There might be a fire in the engine. Somebody has to open up the, 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 the covers of the, of the engine. You know, the, the, the driver has to turn it off. The gunner has to turn the tank sideways so the driver can get out. The loader has to grab the machine gun. Everybody has to get off the tank in a hurry. Like, whatever you have to do. And you have to do all this in seconds. Because if a tank is on fire, it could blow up. If you're attacked by infantry, and your tank is hit, and you've got to get off and fight as infantry, you don't have time to start thinking about it. Who does what? So everybody knows. Everybody knows who takes... Like, you've got this heavy machine. You can't jump off a tank with a heavy machine gun. So somebody jumps down. Somebody gets the machine gun out of its pins. He hands it down to the next guy. Who runs? Who does... Right? All of these trickle up. It is the most hated week in tank training. Think about this. Just to give you one example. So you're on a tank. It's July. It's like literally 105 degrees outside. It's about 120 degrees inside the tank. You're sweating, right? And you get the order, you know? Um, like you've been attacked. The driver has to hit the brakes. The gunner has to turn the gun. You're in these sorbalot, in these uh, whatever, one-piece tank outfits that themselves make you sweat. You've got to jump out, jump off the tank, get all the gear. You've got your helmets on. <coughs> you've got your afoot on. You've got your net, your weapons. And then you got to run up this hill, right, to attack some imaginary targets. And halfway up, the, the commander looks, the sergeant who's drilling you says, nope, not fast enough, do it again. So you trudge back to the tank, and you're in, like, training. Like, you don't just walk by the tank, you run back to the tank. And you got to load everything up, and you got to, right, and do it again. Nope, not fast, do it again, and again, and again. How many times does it take before you realize you're in somebody's little private section of hell? And you do a different turgolet every day for a week, and you can't breathe by the end of the day, and then you do it again the next day. And, and I remember thinking, like, we've done this 30 times. We've got this down to 30 seconds. He wants us to get it to 28. This is ridiculous. Like, in a war, what's the difference in two seconds? Right? It's ridiculous. 
Now, to be fair, years later, when you're in a war and you're in combat and something happens, and, and without even realizing it, you fall back on those exercises. Every Israeli soldier who's ever in combat, if he thinks he's under fire, knows exactly what to do. He will hit the dirt, right? If, 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 if somebody who was in combat actually thought somebody was firing right now at this window, he wouldn't think twice. He would hit the ground, he would do a roll, he would reach for his neck only to find he's a civilian. This actually happened once. My brother and I were walking down King George Street. We were both out of the army. It was a Friday, right? And there was some car that had a backfire. And we had both come down from Lebanon. And both of us just didn't think. It just sounded like a gunshot. So we both hit the ground, right, and rolled. And people around us started laughing. They all realized, okay, this must be two chayalim who are on leave. And we kind of felt like idiots. But in retrospect, you realize that's exactly what they want. And those trigger look, they save your life. Absolutely saved my life on at least three occasions. So why do I bring up this whole story? Because there's a fascinating detail in this week's Pasha. Okay, we're in Pasha Tetzaveh. Last week, we got the mitzvah to donate, right? To, 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 to build a Mishkan. And then there are a few things that we put in the Mishkan, right? And in the midst of this Pasha, some of the Kalim, right? The Mizbech, whatever it is in here, there's a whole section about how you're going to actually dedicate the Mishkan. A lot of this week's parsha is about the clothing of the Kohanim. What do the Kohanim wear? How many types of clo- clothing... How many types of clothing does a Kohen have? Anybody know? Pardon? That's a Kohen Gadol. Four. What are the four types of clothing that a Kohen has? You have what? They have the headpiece, the Tznefet, right? You have... Pardon? The Ketonet, the, the shirt. Nope, a is for a, right? You have a michnesei bad and the avnet, which is a belt. Those are the four basic pieces of clothing of the coin, and they represent different things. Okay, in fact, I was at a chavrusa with a Talmud, uh, an alum this week. He had a really, really good question. It says, um, you know, the, the pasuk here, you can look it up. Uh, oh, actually, it's here. It says, um, pasuk says, one second. In Perek Chafchet Pasuk Mem Gimel, right? And all these clothing have to be on the Kohanim when they come to Besamekesh. And they shouldn't carry an iniquity and die. If a Kohen comes to do the Avod, he does everything right. You know, he lights up the menorah or he offers up the carbon or whatever, he's doing everything right, but he doesn't have his belt on. He's Chayef Misa. Chayv means it's unbelievable. Like this, like we talk about a dress code. Like this is serious. Like you know, we debated doing this, but we thought the parents wouldn't like it. But you know, this is serious. And it's interesting here. It says, when does it say, "Below you saw from Vametu," right? So Rashi here says, okay, Vametu halamata shemeshamesh mechusa begadim b'mita. Now this is talking about mechasevai. It's talking about the the clothing, the the, the pants. So Rashi says, we learn that if you wear begadim, you die. But why is it all the begadim? Why doesn't it just say, why does it just say that if, you, if you don't wear the pants? And if in fact, this is where we learn that you're going to die without clothing, <coughs> why does that appear dafka on the pants? That's a good question. I haven't figured out an answer yet. If anybody comes up with an answer, let me know. It's an interesting question, right? This is all the topic here. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all this, comes a topic that doesn't seem to have anything to do with what's going on here, right? And here's what you do on Mizbech, 
right, on the altar, right? Kvasim b'nei shana, shnaim layom, tamid. You have to offer up two offerings, right? Two kevises, two lambs, right? And they're called the korban tamid. The always sacrifice. Et hakevis echad taseh baboker, vet hakevis hashini taseh ben arbayim. You offer one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Why is it called carbon tamid, the always carbon? Because you always offer it every day. And then we go back to what is this doing here? What is the carbon tamid doing here? What does this have to do with anything? There's no other carbon. No, where should this appear? Where should this appear? In Vayikra or Bamidbar, right? Karbanos are in Vayikra and Bamidbar. Well, that's a funny thing. Because it does appear in Bamidbar. In Bamidbar, let me see if I can find it. Story of my life. Um, Parashat Pinchas, right? Anybody hear Bar Mitzvah Parashat Pinchas? That's like the best Bar Mitzvah Parashat because you know all the Chagim, every Chag, you know the Laini, but okay. So what is it saying? Perk Chavchat in Bamidbar. Right? Same sukim. So we that's where it appears. What's it doing here? Why am I talking about carbon tamid in the middle of in, in the middle of of, of Parshat Tzavah? When we're talking about, you know, the Mishkan, building the Mishkan, the clothing, the Kohanim, what does it do with carbon tamid? There's no other korban mentioned here. It doesn't talk about the chatas. doesn't talk about the ola. doesn't talk about any other korbanos. Shlamim. Only korban tamim. What's this doing here? Right? Okay. So, you might think that it's because of the Yemei Miluim. Right? This Perak Haftet talks about... Perak Haftet? Yeah. Perak Haftet talks about the dedication ceremony. How are you going to... That's okay. You build a mishkan. So now you got this, you got all the stuff, and you got the, the beams, and you got the sockets, and you got the curtains, and you got everything there, right? Well, now what? Well, we got we to gotta get it set up, we got to get it ready to be used as a mishkan, as a, as a temple. So what do we, how do we do that? So this is a fascinating deal. Who's the first coin Gadol? Nope. Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, no, Nope, Moshe Rabbeinu. Malkitzedek is Kohen Elyon, not Kohen Gadol. No base of English, right? But it was a good one. It's a good guess. Right? Last week you were two for two, and now you're zero for one. I don't know. Okay, we'll have to see. All right. So Moshe Rabbeinu is the Kohen Gadol. Hashem says to him, listen to what you do. You're going to take Aaron and his four sons. Who are his four sons? Nadav and Avihu, Elazar and Itamar. And we're going to take these five guys, and you're going to train them. You're going to train them how to put together the Mishkan how to take it apart, and what to do all day. So in the morning, you got to bring this, you got to do and then you got to bring the, you got to do Hazayah, you got to offer up the Korba, and do Hazayah Saddam, whatever you got, you got to roll the menorah, the shulchan, everything you got to do. Okay. And then at the end of the day, what do you do at the end of the day? Take it all apart. What do you do the next day? Put it all together again. Do the whole thing again. End of the second day, again. Seven days. And what happens on the eighth day? On the eighth day, Moshe Rabbeinu teaches him how to put it up. And now Moshe Rabbeinu steps back. And Aaron takes over. And at the end of the eighth day, you don't take it apart. 
And these are called the Shmona Yemei. Am I know? Miluim. Shmona Yemei Miluim. These are the days when we, sort of the, the eight days, Malay, to, to, to fill up the space with God, to, to make it ready. So that is in this week's parasha. So maybe the carbon tummit is here because we offered up the carbon tummit during the Shmona Yemei Miluim. That's true. The only problem with that is, where do you find the Shmona Yemei Miluim? Where do they actually do this? Anybody remember? Which, pas- which parasha? Mm. What happens on the eighth day of the Shmona Yemei Miluim? Really bad. Really bad. None of an view. They get toasted. Right? Literally. It's none of an view barbecue. By the way, a couple weeks ago in Parsha Mishpatim, we saw how important Nadav and Aviyu were. Anybody notice that? How important are Nadav and Aviyu? The Jewish people get to Har Sinai. Right? Where, where are the Jewish people supposed to be? They have to stay 2,000 Amot away. has to do with Trum Shabbos from the bottom of Har Sinai. <coughs> but who gets to be closer at the foot of Har Sinai? Remember? Nope. Nope. The, this is Canaan. Very good. This is Canaan. Canaan at the bottom of the mountain. Who's all the way on top? Moshe Rabbeinu. Who's a little below Moshe Rabbeinu? Yeshua. Who's in between Yeshua and this Canaan? Another one of you. Parakhav Dalad and Shmot, look it up. These were the future leaders of the Jewish people. That's a whole interesting question, who they were. So on the eighth day, disaster, we'll talk about that when we get to Parshat Achremot, okay? Shmini, really, which is called Shmini because it's the eighth day. Shmini, eighth day of the Yemimilu. So, that's where it describes what actually happened. And isn't it interesting? The carbon Tamid is not mentioned in Parshat Shmini or Achremot during the Yemei Milun. So if you want to say that the reason it's here is because it's part of Yemei Milun, then why is it mentioned there? There's something weird going on here. We're in the middle of building the Mishkan. What are we talking about a carbon for? Very strange. Okay? By the way, another interesting detail that you all know, I will start the, word, the phrase and you will all finish it, because you've heard this many times, but most people never think about what this means. Listen to this. Olat tamid be har What does that mean? Why does it all of a sudden in Bamidbar, which by the way, it does not say <coughs> by us, it says in Bamidbar and Pinchas, what does it mean that it's asuya be What does har have to do with carbon tamid? which is quoted in Pinchas. So listen to Rashi. Rashi gives us two possibilities, okay? For what Asuya Bahar Sinai, what it means, but what does it literally mean, Asuya Bahar Sinai? It is made at Har Sinai. That's a kind of funny phrase. The Ola Tamid is made at Har Sinai. It's, it's in the Mishkan. What does that do with Har Sinai? So Rashi actually gives two answers. Okay, if you look at Rashi in Parshas Pinchas, this is Perak Chavchet Pasuk Zayn. 28.7. Rashi says, Ha'asuyah Sinai gives two opinions. The first is, Ke'otan shenasu Right? It's called Ha'asuyah Sinai because the carbon tamid you offer up every day is like the carbon tamid that was bought during the Shemoni Yemei Miluim. And the Shemoni Yemei Miluim, right, occurred right next to Ha'asinai. How do I know that the Shemoni Yemei Miluim were right next to Ha'asinai? Because they're in Parsat... Right, Shmini in Achremot, which is way before Parshat Bahar, which is the second to last Parshat Sefer for Ikra. How does Bahar's, Parshat Bahar start? Bahar Sinai. 
So Vayikra happens in the shadow of Harsinai. We're in the shadow of Harsinai. By the way, this makes sense. Right? The Jewish people get to Mount Sinai and it all starts so great. They see God. They see sound. Thunder and lightning. Right? Everything you say in Asev and Ishma. And then we all know 40 days later it's a disaster and they make what big mistake? That's a mess. So, so, so Moshe Rabbeinu comes down and he says, this is not going anywhere. What does he do? He smashes a lucha. Right? What's the date? Seventeenth. You had almost every guess. Nobody said Purim. Seventeenth of Tammuz. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute too. That's interesting. Seventeenth of Tammuz. Okay, seventeenth of Tammuz. Moshe comes down. Right, it's forty days after Zion Sivan or Vav, whatever. Right, after Shavuot. Shavuot is when we get the Torah. That's when we start. <coughs> forty days later, on Shavuot that's when he comes down. By the way, if 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 we hadn't messed up. Shivasa Batamas would be Shavuot. Right? Because we would have gotten the Luchot. Who would celebrate the beginning when you could celebrate getting the Luchot? So we would have gotten the Luchot, and that would have been the big celebration. Shavuot would have been, instead of, this year I think it comes like July, June 10th, which is why the Zman doesn't end until like June 13th, 14th, because like, there's no way you're going home without experiencing Shavuot. Shavuot is unbelievable. Shavuot, you will ne- you've never had Shavuot, because you've never been at a right for Shavuot in the old city of Shalim. You're about to experience your first Shavuot. So get excited. But okay, right? But you would have had Shavuot in July. How awesome would that be? A whole extra month of Torah. But no, we messed it up. Okay. So, Shivasa Batamuz, right? We break the Luchot, and we have Chet Eiko. What happens? So, you know, Moshe kills off a few thousand. He really messed it up. And then he's got to get forgiveness. So on the 20th of Tammuz, he goes up for 40 days. He comes down, what date? What's 40 days after the 20th of Tammuz? Rosh Chodesh Elul. Rosh Chodesh Elul, he comes down and says, you're forgiven. That's why Elul is the beginning of the process of Tshuva, Rosh Chodesh and Kippur, fine. But so what? We're forgiven. We still don't have any luchos. You broke the luchos. No problem. Going back up, we're going to do it again. Goes back up, 40 days, comes down, and that's Yom Kippur, and then we get the second lucha. Okay. Sababa. So now we got the second lucha. Hashem says, you know what? We got to fix this. Something's wrong here. So according to Rashi, Hashem says, here's the consequence of the fact you're a ego. I'm going to give you another mitzvah. What's that mitzvah called? Building a mishkan. Vayakel Moshe et kol adat Israel, beginning of Parshish Vayakel, which is in two weeks, right? After Kitisa, appropriately. Look at Rashi there. It says, Vayakel lemacharat yom kippurim. That happens the day after Yom Kippur. We get the mitzvah to build the Mishkan the day after Yom Kippur because this is the consequence of Chet Right? So that's what this is about. We're all building a Mishkan. What does Karben Tumen have to do with this? So Rashi says one possibility because it happened to be by Har Sinai. That's a strange thought. What does it have to do with Har Sinai? Then he gives a second possibility. He says, well, Davar Acher. By the way, this is an important methodological tip. Whenever Rashi gives an opinion, quotes a medrash, whatever it is, and then he says, Davar Acher, another possibility. Why does he do that? Because the first one wasn't too good. Two possibilities. One is he's not happy with the first one. And the other is there are two different ideas you need to get. We're not really going to rip this apart because this is, we're, we're, we're actually almost done, but okay. So Rashi says like this, Davar Acher Ha'asuya Behar Sinai. What does that mean? Mekish olat tamid leolat Har Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu at the foot of Har Sinai Right before we get the Torah, offers up Korbanot, he builds him his Beach. 
And so the olat tamid is similar to the olot that were offered at the bottom of Harsina. Right? Otashinik revalifne matan Torah. Those carbonot that were offered up before Matan Torah. Shekatuf bavayasim baganot. And it says that the Moshe put the blood in these, in these pots or dishes or trays, however you want to translate it. Melamed Shetunakli was needed a vessel. This is a strange Rashi. What does that have to do with anything? What does, what does, when, the card, by the way, the, the, the psukim that he's talking about is in Pasha Mishpatim. And if you look at Pasha Mishpatim in Perak Havgimel, it says, Vayashkem Baboker. Okay? This is, I'm not going to get into exactly when this is because it's very difficult to really understand the back and forth and what happens when and what's earlier and what's later. But they're at the beginning of the Sinaitic experience. Moshe arises early in the morning. This is probably the day before he goes, this is before he goes up for the first of the 40 days. Right? And he builds an altar at the foot of the mountain. And they make a monument, right, of seven, of 12 something. 12 stones, 12, right? This should remind you, by the way, of what other instance where they do the same thing? And remember, in the Yardin, when they cross over the Jordan, right? Okay, right? Okay. And they offer up whole burnt offerings, all out. And Moshe takes half the blood and places it like in basins. Right? Half the blood is thrown on his back. Okay? And half the blood, and half is thrown on the people. So they offered up a lot. So it says Rashi, why does it say in Bamidbar Hayasuyabaharsinai that the old that the Korban Tamid was made in Hasina? Because it reminds me of the Olot that were offered up the floor. What does that have to do with anything? Now, what's interesting about this is, right, if you say that the Korban Tamid was called Asuyabahar Sinai because it's like the Ayel Miluim that was next to Har Sinai, that has nothing to do with Har Sinai. The fact that it happens to be that it's in, it has nothing to do with Har Sinai. Why is it called Asuyabahar Sinai? What, just because it happens to be next to Har Sinai? Right? By the way, you could choose to learn a valuable message from this. The fact that that this experience of the Shmoni Meimiluim occurs next to Har Sinai, which seems to have nothing to do with Har Sinai, cannot have nothing to do with Har Sinai. Why is it not possible it has nothing to do with Har Sinai? Because it it's right next to Har Sinai. Anything that happens in your life is not random. There is no random in the world. Everything has a pattern. Hasuyaba Har Sinai means every little thing. Every little screw of every little disc of every little bolt in every little tank can change the world. Everything. The pen that you dropped. You know, uh, we were in a, a field outside of Beirut, whatever. And uh, I told you this story once about the sniper who was shooting at us. Remember that? No, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I must have told you the story. Whatever, we had a new sign from Pei. It's a longer story. But a sniper took out a guy right next to me. And we were getting off the tanks to walk back through this field. I didn't really know him that well. He was a new whatever officer in the unit. And it happened to be that when we got off the tanks, the, the, one of the, uh, uh, the uh, tankistim who was working on the tank dropped a big tool, maftechkis, whatever. And I realized, like, for him to get off the tank, so I turned around and I picked up the maftechkis and I lifted back up to him so he could have it. it. Took a second. But because of that second, I ended up walking on the right instead of the left. And because I walked on the right instead of the left instead of the right, 
the sniper, that could be one reason why the sniper hit the other guy and not me. Such an innocent moment. Like, what's the big deal? Like, you just turn around and pick something up. But that moment changed my life. Who knows? The last 40 years wouldn't have been. This wouldn't have been. Who knows? Well, it would have been, but it wouldn't have been me, whatever. Right? Every detail, man, that's one lesson. But that's not the lesson I want to share with you. I think that's something even more powerful because it's so unnoticed. Right? If you say that Moshe offers the sacrifices at Sinai and, uh, you know, that Allah Tamida Asuyah Bahar Sinai is called made in Harsinai because it reminds us of the offerings that Moshe made at the foot of Harsinai. Now it makes sense why it's Harsinai. The only problem is, what does that have to do with the Korban Tamim? Like, what's the connection here? So I'm going to tell you a deep idea. And we'll finish with this. Maybe, and I've seen a number of sources, this is not, I, I, or, or, you know, sometimes you have an idea and you know where you got it. Sometimes you have an idea and you hope to find it somewhere because it's a good idea, but kind of don't trust it if you don't find it somewhere. And sometimes you don't remember whether you had the idea and then you saw it somewhere or whether you saw it somewhere and then you had the idea. But uh, I've seen a number of, 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 of Perushin that talk about this. I also saw an article by a fellow named Ravari Shames who teaches at Midrash Narova. He writes some wonderful articles. Some of them are up on different websites. He actually comes here to give a shear on, <coughs> on before you go up to Harabait. He's very knowledgeable on the topic. So he has a wonderful article on this topic. And um, makes a good point. He says, maybe a carbon tamid is not just another carbon. Maybe the carbon tamid is, is part of building the Mishkan. You need, to, you, need to, you need to have curtains. You need to have sockets. You need to have beams, Weisvogel. Right? You need to have it all, and you need to have a carbon tamid. The Mishkan, Avner, leave him alone. The Mishkan is not a Mishkan without the carbon tamid. Now, what does that mean? That it's not a car. And I, I want to give you just one example of this, okay? We mentioned Shiva Sabatamas. The Mishnah in Tanit, okay, this is one of the longest Mishnahs you'll ever find. So, in the middle of this Mishnah, it's uh, the beginning of the fourth parak, okay? The Shlosha Prakim, it's called, whatever, right? Chamisha Dvarim Iru, it's on Daf Chavavavam and Aleph, if you want to look it up in Tanit. There were five things that happened on the 17th of Thomas. And by the way, five things that happened on Tisha but that's not our topic. What were these five things? I'm going to read them out of the order. The first was Nishtabru Aluchot. The Luchot were broken when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Marcina the first time. The third, Huvka'ayir. The city was breached. Which city? Yerushalayim, right? They broke through the walls and Shavuot of Thomas. Not an accident, right? <coughs> And around the time of the Bar Kokhba rebellion, <coughs> Apostomos, who was the local Roman exilarch, burned the Sefer Torah in Harabayit. We don't appreciate that. It sounds like such a... Okay, so they burned a book. Burning Sefer Torah is like... It's like putting a human being to death for Jews. That's how big an event that was. That's only a right? And one of the Roman emperors or exilarchs put an idol... In, in, in the base of Mikdash. A Vodazar in the base of Mikdash. It couldn't be more, more, more horrendous than that. What, which one did I skip? Ubatel HaTamid. The carbon Tamid stopped being offered. Now, this is interesting. Rashi here says, Lefisha Gazra HaMalchut Gzeira Milakriv Od. The Malchus, the, the Roman Empire, said they could no longer offer up Korbanot. It's not clear whether. They could no longer offer up the carbon tamid, but they could no longer offer up a carbonate. 
they were you know, they didn't say, well, you can bring a chatas, you can bring a shlamim. It's okay with all that three, but not the carbon tummy. They just said no more carbonat. So if they said no more carbonat, why does it say batel carbon tamid? Why does it say carbonos are batel? Because there's something about the korban tamid, this always sacrifice, that's so fundamental that when that stopped, it's like, it's like the base of mix is going to be destroyed. So what is the carbon tamid? Why is this such an important halacha? What does it mean? You know, there's a, there's a medrash, and I don't remember exactly where it is, um, but there's a medrash that says, Like, what's a great, what, what is the greatest, if you had to pick a saying, which is the essence of Judaism, what would it be? And there are three opinions in this medrash, right? The first opinion is, You remember this from Rabbi Akiva. The second opinion is, The beginning of the Sarah Sati Brus, You know what the third is? Keves echad baboker v'keves echad ben arbayim. Why is the Shema in there? Keves echad baboker v'keves echad ben arbayim. So, why is that so important? You know what keves echad baboker means and keves echad ben arbayim? You know what it means, the korban tamin? Korban tamin is always about consistency. Anochi Hashem alokecha is the power of, of, of standing on the roof during Kol Nidre. It's, it's, it's dancing through the rova on Simchas Torah. You know, it's, 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 it's dancing before Marev. It's, it's, wait, wait, you think you're close? Wait till Purim. You don't even know what close is. Wait till Purim. Like, you know, all the borders drop. You become one. It's, it's, just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's so high. Who wouldn't want that? You know what carbon tummit is? Carbon tummit is every morning, you come to the Spanish and you put your tefillin on. Carbon tummit is... You know, you say in Kalkainu at the end of Davani. Carbon Tamid is you wake up in the morning and you put on your keep and you put on your tissues. That's your team uniform. Carbon Tamid is the consistency of the detail. And what that message is suggesting is with all the powerful moments and all the bombastic events, right? Matan Torah, when we got the Aseros Adibros, did not last. That's not what got us there, right? If you build a mishkan and fire comes from the heavens and consumes the altar and, 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 and the sweet smell of Torah is coming out it just drives you insane with inspiration. But there's no carbon tummy. You don't have a mishkan. You don't have a base of mikdash. When you take out that consistency, it all begins to fly away. It's very exciting, you know, to finish a masechta. It's not so exciting when you're sitting in base of at 11.30 at night you just want to get another armor done. But how do you finish the Masechta? You finish Masechta because Tamit Shel Boker and Tamit Shel Ben Because it's Tamit. If I do something and it's so powerful but it doesn't last, then what was the point? The real challenge is, can I take all of these experiences and make them Tamit? You know? It, 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 don't get me wrong. It's, it's not to be underrated that, you know, Rav Blau sends me a WhatsApp and he says, you know, I'm sitting here during the break. It's like 2.30 in the afternoon. There's like 17 guys in the base manager and 14 of them are Shana'alf guys. That's unbelievable. That's powerful. And, and it's impressive and call it But three years from now, you know, when it's the night before finals, are you still in the base manager? You know, 10 years from now, you're married, you got little kids and you're living in a chvesnisht. Hopefully in Ranana, right? Or a frat, right? And, 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 and it's a regular Monday night. Are you learning Torah? Or was that just like an awesome experience for a year? 
do you make this tamid? Where do you find this in the Rambam? This is all about habits, habits right? It's the end of Paragalaf. You do it again and again and again and again until it's tamid. And by the way, what does the Rambam say? The Rambam says, if I can find it, the Rambam says at the end of Paragimel, remember he talks about the fact that a person should be in Eved Hashem and his Avodat Hashem. Everything he does should be part of his Avodat Hashem, right? Paragimel. Nimtza malech b'derech zu kol yamav kulan oved et Hashem. You want to finish the sentence? Tamid. Now the Rambam, if, 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 if I see that line and I think of Karben Tamid, I promise you the Rambam did. Like, Avodat Hashem is meaningful when you can make it Tamid. And it becomes consistent. It becomes a part of your life. It becomes something that becomes so part of you that you can't live without it. You just can't live without it. You know, you're, 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 you're taking a bottle of water. You, you can't drink it without making a bracha. Like, you, you've gotten so used to making a bracha. How can you drink it making a bracha? You know? I, I, can't, I can't walk out of my house without a pair of tzitzis on. I'm I just not comfortable doing it. I can't do it. Right? I, I can't walk around without a keep on. I, I can't imagine, you know, etc. And I'll just finish with one last interesting detail. The word tamid only appears... In the Torah, in connection with the Mishkan. The Tzitzis Tamid, uh, the Mizbech HaKtoret, the Ner Tamid, right? There are specific things that are Tamid. La'alot Ner Tamid, with one exception. And I would never have noticed this except for Ari Shem's article. It's a chap. It's such a chap. Right? This is in Tvarik, Perakidav. Listen to this. You know what this land is called? That we call Israel? You know what this is called? This is Perak Yud Aleph. That's such an easy person. You're all of your bed. 11, 12. Okay? Eretz asher Hashem alokecha doreshota tamid and enei Hashem alokecha ba. Mireshit hashana vadachit hashana. The eyes of Hashem, okay? Hashem constantly is involved. Hashem sees everything that happens in this country is impacted by Hashem always. This is the land of tamid. Now there are a lot of things you can do with this. What is the difference between living in Israel and not living in Israel? The possibility of being in an environment where you feel the presence of Hashem always is in Israel. It is much, much more difficult to experience that outside of Israel. The concept of tamid, that it becomes a part of who I am, you get such a head start in this country that you have to have a good reason not to be here. So that's a challenge of Parashat Tetzaveh. You know? Can we turn Torah into tamid? Can we make what we do an offering all the time? every minute of every day of every year of the rest of our lives. I both say food for thought and prizes to savvy.